I was working on Mars missions, uh, the Curiosity rover, basically supersonic decelerators. Space has been my life since the beginning. I mean, since as far back as I can remember. Hi, I'm Kim. Hi, I'm Christina. And this is Scotland's Secret Space Race. Christina, I'm so pleased you've joined us on the podcast. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you, Kim. And how are you? I am very pleased to have you here and to be speaking about all the amazing women that we have in the Scottish space industry. I know that's something you feel quite strongly about, isn't it? Oh, yes, indeed. So many amazing women, and it's a pleasure to work with many of them already. So tell us a little bit about you. So uh, I am a space business development executive at the University of Edinburgh, and it's my immense pleasure to be working with industry and academia and creating awesome collaborative opportunities um, and funky projects uh, all around space. You certainly have a lot of passion for what you do, don't you? I do. I absolutely love it. And uh, I'm a slight weirdo, I guess, because I don't actually come from a STEM background myself. I'm a psychologist by training, but um, I love it. It's it's like working in sci-fi. It's brilliant. (laughs) And you love Scotland as well because you moved here for the job, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. Best decision I ever made. It's, it's a fantastic country. And I, I think the podcast series name speaks volumes about the fact that it's secretly getting to space before anyone else finds out about us. I know. We're spilling the secrets on the podcast. Are you okay with that? Okay, it's fine. It's fine. We'll just, we'll just make my voice sound different. Oh, and I have the accent, don't I? So people are going to know it's me. Yeah, you're quite um, distinctive with that amazing accent. You, you're joining us today as we're celebrating International Women in Engineering Day, which is the 23rd of June, and it's brought to us by the Women's Engineering Society. Neither you nor I is an engineer, but we can certainly appreciate the work that goes into that and that there are too few women in the sector, aren't there? Oh, I would, I would definitely agree with that. But the, the women that are engineers that I've met so far have been absolutely incredible. So I think there might be a few for the moment, but they are outstanding. They are. And we've got two of them on the podcast today. I'm so excited because they're two women that I really admire. The first one we're going to speak to is Cassandra Mercury. How's that for a cool name? She's Californian born, but she has always wanted to come and live in Edinburgh. And so she is here now working on some really cool projects. So let's bring on Cassandra. So Cassandra, you're a Californian in Edinburgh. Tell me what on earth you're doing here. (laughs) So I'm working on a quantum key distribution payload for a CubeSat. The whole mission is called ROCKS, and we're doing an in-orbit demonstration in about two years. So I'm working on a new type of cryptography, basically. It's quantum cryptography. What on earth is quantum cryptography? (laughs) Well, it's basically using uh, quantum principles uh, to secure our data because right now we have plenty of of normal encryption methods in cryptography where the security is around the complexity of solving math problems. And that is very difficult for normal computers to do. But there's a coming event and it's the quantum computing age uh, where quantum computers will be able to decrypt these currently secure encryption methods uh, very easily in seconds. So the problem is, is how do you secure information when you have a quantum computer that can do these really complex math problems so quickly and efficiently? And the answer is you do a quantum cryptography. And it's based around the whole idea that you can't measure a particle without altering it. So while you're sending the photons 
in this. Uh, there are basically four different quantum states. Uh, if you have an eavesdropper, it'll change what gets sent, and that can be detected by the reconciliation algorithms so that you'll know, hey, abort, it's someone's eavesdropping, as well as be able to have a secure key at the end of it so that it's something that can't be beaten and decrypted by a quantum computer. Wow. And how on earth do you do that? <laughs> and so, uh, well, it's it's really exciting stuff. Basically, what you do is you have one that's a, a sender. It's, this is the transmitter. And for us, it's going to be on the satellite. And it's going to be going through free space from the satellite to a ground station. And we are sending the quantum states from that satellite to the ground station And then there's a whole back and forth, what we call reconciliation. It's changing what was sent into what can be used as a secure key. And once you have that, then you compare it with like a one-time pad and you can send whatever information you want securely and it can't be decrypted. That's incredible. I, I think I understand what you said. It's it's really exciting stuff because it's a it's you know it's a whole new world. It's you're you're trying to solve problems that are like exciting and 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 so relevant to the world we live in. We we depend on encryption in all parts of our lives. You know, from just messages on our phones, emails, corporations. Obviously, they they want to keep secrets and you know protect against espionage. So. It's a it's a big problem that's coming up, and it's really exciting to to be on the forefront of of solving that. That's amazing, and this is through Craft Prospect, which is the company you work for. Are there other companies around the world that are trying to do this? There's a couple of other government agencies as well that are that are doing it. The first quantum, um, basically, uh, entanglement that was ha- that happened was with China, and so in 2016 okay. they sent the Mycius satellite, which proved basically that you can do this process. They used a different one. They used um, entanglement photons and we're using a weak coherent laser pulse uh, QKD. There's <laughs> it's there's slight differences in in the in the protocol for those different types of quantum key distribution. Mm-hmm. And so obviously a lot of countries around the world are trying to invest in this because you know quantum computing is going to affect us all. So the idea is to get ahead of it. So we're at Craft Prospect, you know, we're, we're based in Scotland, in, in Glasgow. And so we're working on getting the first demonstrator mission that'll be out of the UK. That's going to happen in two years. That's really exciting. And how old are you, Cassandra? I'm 33. You're very young to be saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> so a 33-year-old Californian in Edinburgh encrypting photons. Can we go back a step, please? How did you get to this? What What are your qualifications and how did you end up in Edinburgh? I find that really interesting. Yeah. So uh, I'm a native of Los Angeles, uh, born and raised, and I even went to uni there. But I did take one study abroad semester and I came to Edinburgh and I just fell in love with the city. And so it was always kind of my intention to come back and, and live here one day, um, not just as a student. And so um, I did go back you know, to the States and I graduated from University of Southern California and then went straight into NASA's JPL. And from there, I was working on Mars missions, uh, the Curiosity rover, basically supersonic decelerators. And I was there for, for several years. And then I went over to a, a different high-tech startup working on the Hyperloop. And then after a while, I was like, well, I've always wanted to live in Edinburgh, it's now's the time. So that became my new goal. And now I'm here. I commute well in, 
in the before days, uh, I commute to Glasgow <laughs> to work at Craft Prospect. And yeah, working on still very exciting work. So, and you're happy here. You obviously love it. Oh, I love, I love Scotland. You know, I love Edinburgh. I love all of its magic streets and, you know, all the green spaces that are just really a part of the city center. You can walk, you know, to anywhere, which coming from LA where you basically need a car to, to go anywhere. It's, it's a revelation for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and then, you know, all of Scotland, I've, I've done quite a bit of traveling, you know, I've gone out to a lot of the islands, um, out to the Outer Hebrides. Obviously uh, I found Craft Prospect because you know, I wanted a, a place where I'd be very hands-on because uh, that's that's really what I enjoy. I really kind of enjoy digging into a problem, but also not just being computer-based and where you get a lot of responsibility. So there's kind of like a right-sized company to, to get that sort of responsibility. And that's where Kraft came in. They're doing a lot of exciting work. It's not just quantum key distribution, uh, the ROCKS project, the, that's the satellite mission that the QKD is going to be flying on, it's actually going to be demonstrating a couple of uh, the cool items that we're doing at Craft, And it includes our forward-looking imager, which looks ahead of where the satellite is going to be um, to determine if it's a good target. So, uh, you know, for QKD, it's we can't go through clouds. So we need the ground okay, station okay. that we aim for to be cloud-free. So the forward-looking imager looks, and if our current target is covered by clouds, it sends that back and it finds a new target that's not covered by clouds. So we can find a different ground station so we can still use that pass basically to create keys. Um, and we also have an autonomous computer on board and that we're testing out to show basically more efficient satellite operations. So it's like all of these things come together and, and you know, as, as fascinating as I find the you know, the quantum cryptography part, that's just one element of kind of what we do and what the mission's going to do. And bringing that all together is is the real excitement. That must be. I mean, you must have some really cool colleagues if you guys are all such experts in these areas. Oh, yeah, definitely. My colleagues really are the best. They're, they're really great people. They're super nice and they are highly intelligent. And it's just, it's really been a pleasure working with all of them. And I, I love that you just casually mentioned you worked on the Mars rover. Can we go back to that, please? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about working on the Mars rover, because that is an amazing mission to have been part of. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was in the entry, descent and landing group. I was working on those on those parts of, of it, getting it to actually land on the red planet. So like the whole bridal system, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've seen the animations of the whole sky crane descent where it's the rovers getting lowered onto it. And those bridles uh, took a couple of years of, of testing that I, um, that I led on that, which was really exciting. <laughs> you know, like that represents the first hardware that I had, you know, going into space and then on another planet. It's kind of cool sometimes, you know, you see Mars in the sky and I've got hardware. That's wow. That <laughs> blows my mind. Absolutely. And you must have been really young. I mean, how old were you when you were working on the Mars Rover project? Uh, let's see. I graduated when I was 21. And I think I started on the rover about a year after. So, yeah. And what was it like working for NASA? <laughs> uh, you're working with lots of highly intelligent, really cool people who have lots of experience. They're like the normal day is do really crazy stuff that has never been done before, you know, and that's always a highly exciting sort of environment. It's, 
we don't know how to do this yet, but we're going to figure it out. And you are obviously a young woman in a mostly male-dominated sector. How did you find that? Were you even aware of that or were there any barriers in your way, did you feel? Oh, you're always aware of it. Um, <laughs> there was a, Even at a place like JPL, sometimes you, know, you go into a meeting and you see another woman there, you kind of give like the subtle, you know, head nod. There's, there's two of us in here. For the most part, it wasn't an issue because generally people get into that because they want to do really cool, exciting stuff. That That's the uh, that's the pool. And I had a couple experiences, you know, weird things of like, oh, let's, let's introduce everybody. Oh, yeah, we have these engineers and these engineers. Oh, yeah. And then our young female engineer, Cassandra. And it's just like, hmm, yeah, that's that's not good. And so sometimes... You do run into people like that. And really, it's about how your colleagues and how management handles that and showing that there's no tolerance uh, for that sort of discrimination. I mean, ever, you know, hearing from like my mom, where when she was in school, you know, how she was discouraged, basically, from doing anything science-y. She wanted to go into computer science. And she was just told, women don't do that. You know, you can be a teacher. You can be a nurse. And those were the higher level sort of jobs that were, were open, you know, well, you know, she always encouraged me that, you know, you're going to university, you're, you're going to be doing all of this. And, you know, even in my schooling, it was, you're going to university, you can do what you want. So just that shift over a generation is, it's a lot of progress and, and still more to be made. Absolutely. Your mom must be so proud of you. Although I bet she misses you if she's still in California. Has she been to see you in Edinburgh? Yeah, she has. Yeah, it's kind of strange. You know, I moved over to Edinburgh and I, you know, I don't have any family here. So I've been having a, a steady stream of people come to visit me. And it's just, it's, it's very nice to be able to, to have that, you know, obviously before travel restrictions. <laughs> and so get people to come over and, and see this place. They understand why I'm here once they come. It definitely has a, that immediate effect on people, doesn't it? When you see it for the first time yes definitely and just yeah it's such a it's such a great place to you know to settle down and you've said you think it's beginning to change with women in in engineering and science what would you say to young women to encourage them to take these subjects you know it's it's all about learning I think a lot of the issue is that we tend to think of these things as some sort of innate skill like oh I am just not good at science I am just not good at math and that, that means that you, you shouldn't go to it. But really, there are skills you learn. If you're interested in a subject, take it, you know, go for it. And don't down talk yourself like that down talk where you tell yourself like, oh, I, I just must be somehow inherently incapable of understanding that is, I think, one of the most damaging things we do to ourselves. We have to believe in ourselves as well in order to, to go forward. I mean, a lot of people think like, oh, you know. You did astronautical engineering. Oh, you must love math. I never truly enjoyed my math classes. I loved the science. I loved the engineering portions. But like you have to have the math. That's a basis. But I knew what I wanted to be. And I knew that it required that Mm -hmm. hard work and, and going after what you want is so much more important. I totally agree. And I I have to ask, because if you're in a a party in Edinburgh and you're meeting new people and they ask you what you do, what do you say? (laughs) Um, I guess I usually say, you know, I'm, I'm working on a satellite payload. Um, and if they ask more, then, you know, I, I go into it more. But if you, if you bust out right out like, oh, have you heard of quantum photography? You know, like you lose people. You do what? <laughs> just satellite payload. You know, I think that kind of goes into it. It's just like the, oh, they must be so smart, you know, and it's just like 
it's like, no, it's just I have certain interests and, and you have your own interests and, you know, you work towards your goals. Do you feel like people know there's such an amazing space industry in Scotland? Oh, no, definitely not. No, um, unless they're already in the space industry here, like just no one knows when, you know, when people would find out about my background without knowing what I'm doing here, they'd be like, okay, so then what are you doing in Scotland? Like you can't work in space in Scotland. It's just like, Yes, you can. Glasgow makes the most, you know, satellites of any city in Europe. And it kind of helps to put it into perspective for people. And it's just like, you have a a large space program here. Like there's lots of stuff to do in the space environment and in so many different elements of the space, you know, for not only just like satellite payloads, the physical, but, you know, in space data, in most people outside of the space industry just do not know it at all. Cassandra um, from, I think, I can't remember where we met, first of all, but we had a, a very good chat um, back when we were still allowed to meet people face to face in that weird universe, all about her life and her experience in, in America and now her work here in Craft Prospects. And she's just an incredible human being, just so interesting. And she's got so much to offer and she's so open and positive and just a pleasure to have a woman like that working in space in Scotland. I think uh, I've been trying to kidnap her on every single meeting and event that I've been running or facilitating just because having her speak is just incredible and uh, very inspirational and yeah, makes me want to find out about quantum work, which um, I never think I would want to do. Well, I certainly didn't understand it before speaking to her and I'm still ever so slightly puzzled by exactly what she does, but it sounds very interesting. <laughs> I think that's kind of half her, half her a charm is that it's, it's a, an unknown art that she, um, she brings to the party. Yeah, she's great. And you know, we've got another amazing woman to follow that, which is Hina Khan, another woman I know that you chat to frequently. Yes, yes. Hina is a very close colleague of mine and she's an incredible woman. Again, someone who is uh, an inspiration and uh has so much to offer the sector from so many different perspectives as well. Yeah, she's been in the in the space sector, I feel like since she was eight years old. I mean, she's been, <laughs> she knows everybody. She's worked in yeah. so many different parts of it. She's got the research background. She's also got the industry background. And she's just great fun. I, I mean, <sighs> I could have chatted to her all day. Yes, yes. We frequently do when we accidentally have meetings. It just never, it never keeps the time because we have so much to cover, you know? Yeah, she was great. So yeah, here's a very much cut chat with Hina and uh, <laughs> explaining her role at Spire Global. So I joined Spire Global in 2018. I'd been in Scotland for four years. I had been running the Scottish Centre of Excellence in Satellite Applications as their Innovation Director for the previous four years. And I was always really interested in, in the work that they were doing. It came to a point where my kind of role at SOXA was, was kind of changing um, and I was looking for new opportunities. Uh, and Spire at that time, I had some contacts in there and, and you know, ultimately I moved over to, to work with Spire. So... When I joined Spire, um, they had been, they'd moved into a new facility and they had their clean room and everything where all the satellites were built. So Spire had a number of programs that were in place with the European Space Agency at the time. Um, and I came on board to, to really kind of manage and coordinate that, but also look further afield as to how Spire can grow in that sector. So my role now at Spire is, is, is managing those contracts, but also giving that direct engagement to Scottish government uh, and to UK government um, and those areas. Mm. Um, and obviously that has culminated in some shape or form to the, the announcements that happened last year. Uh, support from Scottish government and Scottish enterprise for Spire to grow over the next five years 
uh, here in, in Glasgow. And that's been a huge, huge thing for, for Spire itself, because it means we really can cement our place here in, in Scotland. All of our manufacturing and build and design capabilities happen here in Scotland. So that means for the foreseeable future, every satellite that Spire comes out with is going to be built in Glasgow, which is fantastic. So um, cool. Spire has a suite of 88 satellites at the moment, and that is growing Every year, uh, we launch every six to eight weeks. I think we've got a launch coming up in another couple of weeks. Uh, and, and really, it's that production of, of satellites. And, and to say that that's now happening in Scotland is something which is really, really fantastic. You know, Spire is a data analytics company. We use our platform to provide services to, you know, to provide better data and analysis across the, across the forum, be it from weather data to ship tracking, aircraft tracking, or, you know, a combination of those things. And we have, you know, Aspire is a global company. We have five locations in San Francisco, Boulder, Luxembourg, and, and Singapore. But Glasgow is by far our largest facility uh, and manpower as well. You seem to be the most well-connected space scientist I've ever met. You know everybody. <laughs> it's because I've been around for a very long time. <laughs> I suppose I've had the opportunity to really work in all areas of of space science research and now now industry it is quite unique and it doesn't happen there's not a lot of people that transition from a research academic background into something which is now industry and, and business focused space has been my life since the beginning i mean since as far back as i can remember you know even being at school it, it was it was all i ever wanted to do you know it was it was always astronomy space science uh physics maths that was always something that i had a real passion for which is which is strange i think in these times i wanted to go to university i wanted to do physics and astronomy with the purpose of being of doing a phd you know the purpose of me doing physics and astronomy was not to go out and get a job <laughs> that wasn't really kind of in my framework having graduated from glasgow universities in the late you know late 1990s um i then went down to the university of of leicester to do a phd in space science which is the study of the near earth and space environments what happens around the earth and between the earth and the sun and that interconnectivity was something that i found really interesting and also quite relatable you know mm -hmm. you could imagine that stuff that comes off the sun then impacts the earth and has an effect on what's happening here on the ground what it let me do was it opened avenues into other areas so i had the opportunity to go to nasa and i worked there again in a research capacity on a fellowship program for two years and that opens up huge avenues of opportunity uh, visibility as well yeah. you meet so many people within the field that you've heard of mm. um, and that kind of just I kind of meandered around for a little bit I went to America and then I came back and then I went to Holland to the European Space Agency uh, and then I came back and then I was kind of down south for, for a long time and you get into it it's the same people that you see over and over again so it became a very uh, like a little family you had mm -hmm. the same people and you would go to conferences and you would meet all the same people and you had your own little network of of friends the UK at that point was going through a bit of a, a crisis of conscience about what was relevant and what wasn't. So a lot of the research activity within universities got got curbed. You know, mm. so a lot of the con a lot of the research programs were cut uh, in the early two thousands, uh, and that meant a lot of people, a lot of departments closed. But it also meant that a lot of people had to rethink what they were doing. It's where universities started to have to think. Well, we can't. We can do research, but there needs to be a relevance to what we're doing in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, and that over the years then led to the formation of these innovation centres and catapult centres uh, and stuff like that. The innovation drive was happening through UK government. UK Space Agency was being set up. Craig had returned to the to Scotland to set up Clyde Space. 
all of these things started happening at that time. Um, and I remember having that thinking at the time going, it was 2004 or 2003. And I remember thinking at the time going, this would be amazing if he can get this to work. Oh. Um, and, I remember, and I remember just having that really kind of thought. And it was all that, that kind of all of these things started happening. Now looking back, I can see how that mixing pot of activity really was the catalyst to, to where we are, mm-hmm. where we are today. I love that idea, though. There was a kind of that turning point where you and Craig and all these other people who have now such key players all kind of started your journey around the same time, I suppose, that kind of change yeah. in, in Scotland. Yeah, and I think I think it was it was necessary. I think that's the key to it. It was, you know, they always say, uh, you know, necessity is a driver of innovation. And it, and it really was. The opportunity came up to set up the the Scottish Centre of Excellence in satellite applications. So I was here on summer holidays. Literally, I came up for a few weeks to see my mum and dad and my mum at the time. And uh, I thought, I'll just go over that interview whilst I'm here. <laughs> um, and I did. And then I got the job. And I got the job and I was like, okay then, what do we do then? <laughs> um, so that kind of is what moved me moved me back to Scotland. And, and, and really, it couldn't have happened at a better time. Just, it was an opportunity that I knew if I returned to Scotland, seeing what was going on at Scotland at that time and having seen how things had developed over the previous four or five years, I was like, right, this could be something quite significant now. And I really, and the opportunity was there for me to be really a driving force in that uh, through the Scottish Centre of Excellence. And, you know, to be in a a position of responsibility to deliver, this was to drive it forward. Mm. Um, And that opportunity, I thought, was actually too good to to pass up. So, yeah, when you say I kind of know everybody, it's just because I have been around (laughs) in this industry for a long, long time. And you're so focused, Tina. You're so focused. (laughs) I mean, I really don't know any children that have known since they were eight exactly what they wanted to be. And and so what was it about space that you were so fascinated with? Well, exactly. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it was just, I just, I just loved it. I loved looking up in the sky. I mean, it was all very romantic in the sense of, oh, it's amazing, amazing. But actually to have the ability to then study it and to go on and do it, I was like, why would you not do this? And my dad, I remember, God bless him you know he's, he's gone now but for years he used to say to me what is it that you do Hina what is it that you do and then when I wrote my PhD obviously I dedicated it to, to my parents but then after that I got the job at NASA and oh my god he was just like you know where my daughter works you know where my daughter works she works at NASA <laughs> it was so funny suddenly it all made sense <laughs> that's lovely and did you ever come up because there are so few women in your kind of area in your industry certainly in your position did you ever come up against any kind of roadblocks? Was there anything that discouraged you along the way, or were you completely focused? No, there was a lot of there was a lot of ups and downs, um, as as in so many ways. And I would say that you know it's like with so many things, um, when you get to a point where you are looking to drive forward, it's a trait as women have as general is that we're not very good at promoting ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and it's something I really had to learn to do actively over the last you know i would say 10 15 years and it's it's an absolute necessity because unfortunately we do live in a world where if you don't nobody else will mm-hmm. uh, and i don't mean it you should you should jump over people or you should step on people to do so absolutely not but i do think that we do you know women in general do undersell themselves in so much as being um apprehensive about taking positions of authority and it's taken me a very long time to firstly not apologize you know i am who i am and i know i know and i know and i know i do it well but what i would also say is within an academic environment that in itself is very 
male focused mm-hmm. um, and it's very male oriented in terms of progression. It's that uh, systemic di- bias that comes through. It's mm-hmm. it's not that they are doing it actively. It's just inbuilt in with the way people talk about things or the way people d- derive things. I, I didn't feel that things were discriminatory to directly towards me, but I did think that overall, if you weren't in the right place talking to the right people at the right time, then you wouldn't progress. It's an age-old problem, uh, and it's not going away anytime soon, but I think everything we do should try to push that boundary further and further. Did you have women that you looked up to, or did you have mentors, women who helped you or who were role models for you? Um, I mean, there were definitely there were definitely women that I, I aspired, you know, and saw as, as people that I wanted to, to, to be with. What's funny now is actually a lot of my peers are in that we're in we're all in that category. So a lot of my peers now are those sorts of people. At the time, I think it was more just having there were so few women in those sorts of roles, and I've always been in a very male-dominated environment. You know, doing physics, doing physics, doing space, working in the US and in an academic environment. It was always very male-dominated. But I think it was not always the case where that bias was true. So there were always people like my supervisor. You know, he's he's man and he's been in the field for 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 50 years and and you know an absolute icon within the within the space science community but he was very very proactive in making sure that his students got the recognition for what they deserved Um, and there's individuals like that throughout all so i think it's finding those people uh, and being aligned men or women um who have the ability to recognize value in you as an individual and supporting your growth and you're obviously a role model for what you've achieved and all the things that you've done. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that responsibility? Do you do you proactively use it? Um, so again, it's not something I'd thought about, but as I over the last few years, I see it more, um, and and I, and I re- I understand it, and I do recognise it, and I do try and and use it. So I'm a STEM ambassador as well, um, and that's something I've always loved to do. So I do try and use that in that environment to see actually. You know, not just as women, but also in a from from the way I've come from. You know, I, I grew up in Cumbernauld, went to the local state school, so I do try and use that as well as saying that actually these opportunities are available to us all. What positive things can I relate? Can I give out from where I've come from? Mm-hmm. Um, either by being, you know, a woman or in science or from a small town in Cumbernauld or in, in Scotland or from being of of an ethnic minority as well. You know, I think that's another challenge that we all face that within certain communities there are biases towards various different channels and various different career paths that you should or shouldn't take. Hina Canler from Spire Global, a very cool company that's been operating in Glasgow for a while now. And no wonder it's so successful with someone like Hina. Oh, I know. They're so lucky to have her, honestly. She knows absolutely everybody. Listen, have you been enjoying being on this podcast? I have. I have enjoyed being on the podcast. And you know what? Um, I think that the reason, I mean, it's an awesome podcast, but it's you, Kim. You should be one of the inspirational women in, in engineering we talk about. You don't have to be an engineer to be one of those women. And you did such a great job of these things. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's, it's a pleasure. It's genuinely is. And uh, it's it's wonderful to hear someone this enthusiastic about space all the time as well. Because it's just, ah, you know, it's, it kind of weirdly energizes me every time I listen to those kind of podcasts from you. We're so excited about everything to do with space, Murray and I. We're such space geeks, aren't we? Well, Murray's probably a slightly bigger geek than me, though, I would. <laughs> yeah, I think, but Murray's a different kind of geek. He's a very, um, he's a very scientifically minded geek, I would say. We're a bit more, we're a bit more free-falling geeks. 
Nothing else. I love that. <laughs> Nothing else. A term that should be catching on though. Free falling geeks. I know. No, I wonder. I wonder if everyone's missing Murray this week, or if they've forgotten all about him. Oh, you can't forget Murray. As much as Murray is an incredible human being who's done amazing stuff, he does. He does. Talk a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. He's a tough guy to edit, that man. He is. I can imagine. You probably have like six hours of tape if they cut down to 30 minutes. I don't know how you manage it, honestly. We, we, yeah, we've worked very closely for a very short amount of time, but I've only been in Edinburgh for a year and a half. And the whole of the time I've been here, I've worked with Murray. Actually, I think I met him on my second day ever. And I've just haven't stopped working with him ever since. So it's been, it's been amazing. Honestly, it's been, I think he's made my job a million percent more interesting than it would have been without him. Him and him and the rest of the team. And uh, yeah, he's well, he's the reason I know you, actually. If it wasn't for him, I yeah. would have never met you. I mean, my life is better just because of that. Oh, bless. Yeah, we're, we're a good team, aren't we, as space geeks in the capital? And listen, next week, Murray's going to be back. We've got two two more superstars. I mean, we don't have anyone that's not a superstar in this podcast. No, I know. We've got Stephen Ramage, who um, is a Glaswegian exiled abroad. He lives in Switzerland. And we also spoke to Tugrul Aslan who was one of the team that helped to build the Mars rover. So the the space science and the geekery will continue next week but unfortunately not with you Christina. But will you come back another time please? Oh yes, no problem, anytime. Thank you. I liked having you here. It was a nice change. But we, I have missed Murray a little bit, so let's not be... Yeah, difficult. let's be nice to Murray. He's a good man. So if you would like to drop a line to Christina, then she's on Twitter too. What's your Twitter name, Christina? It's at K-R-I-0-S-I-S, rather catchingly. And I'm at Kim McAllister, and you can still catch Murray, even though he's on his holidays this week, at Murray B. Collins. Thanks for listening.